Too many entrepreneurs are struggling to seize the unique opportunities available in business today. The Get Clear Podcast is here to connect the best people with best tools so that they can reach their business goals. Now, please welcome the host of the Get Clear Podcast, John Morrison. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another session of the Get Clear Podcast. My name is John Morrison. One of the ways we have to grow our business is to constantly provide it with fresh insights and ideas. I don't know if you're like me, but I have tons of ideas. I love the buzz that comes from an idea. I don't. I think it's mysterious, right? Ideas are shrouded in mystery. You don't really know where they come from. Uh, I love talking about ideas. I love telling people, and then they get all excited. And there's a little, you know, that high five, mutual connection moment. Bit of adrenaline gets produced. But then there's a crisis moment where you have to actually do something with your ideas, right? Like, what are you going to do about it? You could even start it sometimes. Like, you start putting some legs to the idea, but then are you actually going to finish it? Well, our guest today has had a ton of ideas, and uh, he's written a lot of books about ideas. And, you know, as we trace his life, you're going to hear about all the different little cool things that he's done. But at the end, we're going to talk about finishing ideas and what does it take to actually finish a project. It's really easy to start projects, but it's tough to finish them and actually see an idea fully through. So uh, John Acuff has become a friend. He's got a great story. Uh, He's a lot of fun to talk to. You're going to just sense that, the uh, charisma and all that. And he's a good follow online too. Uh, John is a New York Times bestselling author, and he's written several books, which we're going to talk about throughout the interview. Uh, But we're going to talk about, uh, yeah, how to finish things, how to get over perfectionism, because that's like a real thing, right? I mean, sometimes we don't even start stuff because we're too worried that we're not perfect or that what we're going to put out is it going to be perfect? So we'll talk about the the heart of a perfectionist and how you can overcome that. Uh, we're going to talk about changing careers, right? What ha- what happens when you've got an idea or a side hustle that you want to make your full-time work? How do you make that pivot? How do you get your spouse on board? We're going to talk a bit about that. We talk about public speaking and the opportunities and how to leverage the opportunities that are uh, in front of us with public speaking. We'll talk about the power of the internet to spread ideas and even we're going to talk about writing books. So I mean, when you get two uh, extroverted entrepreneurs together, um, you tend to just go in all kinds of places. But uh, it is clear that if you're an entrepreneur or you're trying to grow a business or you've got some ideas, you're going to love this interview. Uh, John Acuff is is uh, a thought leader in this, and he's going to be uh, someone that you're going to probably follow after this and really enjoy it if you haven't heard of him before. So here is my interview with John Acuff. John, thanks so much for being on the Get Clear podcast. It's great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. It's great to have you, especially a fellow uh, John without the H. I think that's a, right. a sign. Sign. unnecessary. It's unnecessary. It, it is. It's just in, in today's age, we are too busy to be writing H's in our name. I don't names. have time for H's. I don't no. have time. It's wonderful. Okay, John, so you recently put out the book Finish, and it's been really cool to see how uh, much momentum this thing is getting around the world. But I think to really appreciate your book. One of the things we got to do is take a few steps back. So can we just trace your story a little bit? I know it's kind of getting into the weeds of of your life, but I, I think it really is important to understand finish. You got to understand where you started. Sure. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, okay. I started, I mean, I really started in um, college. I was, I was a journalism major. So I was always interested in the power of ideas. Um, and so I think that's where I really started to think about, okay, advertising and marketing and communicating with people. And this was before the internet. Um, So then as the internet kind of came on the scene, it felt like finally all those weird thoughts I had had a home. Um, It's probably like you, like 
you probably were always curious about people. It was just now you could podcast. Like it wasn't the, the invention of the technology didn't make you inquisitive. Like you were inquisitive and then John Morrison had a way to do that in a broader sense. And so that's kind of what happened. I was working in marketing and um, blogs came on the scene and I started a blog. I started a blog called Stuff Christians Like and it, it kind of went viral and it did really well. Um, and that's kind of what started me off on, you know, kind of public idea sharing, if you will. Right. That's good. I mean, you, you do know Christian culture because you grew up in the church, right? You're the son of a pastor. So being a PK, yeah. uh, how did that shape you for being a communicator that you are today? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a great question. I think the biggest benefit was I grew up seeing public speaking as normal. Like what I like public speaking isn't normal. Like at least in America, it's our number one fear. Like Jerry Seinfeld used to do a joke where he'd say, our number one fear is public speaking. Our number two fear is dying. And he said at a funeral, we'd rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. That's right. And so like, but watching my dad do it and watching how he crafted things and understanding what worked and didn't work. And it's not like, I mean, he wasn't sitting me down after every sermon and going, here's why I structured a joke this way. Here's why this insight was this way. But I grew up around it and he's really good at it. And so like I 100% benefited. You know, it's we don't like to be honest about the head starts that you get as children. So like AJ, is it AJ Abrams? Is he who did Lost? He had an internship at like 13 with Steven Spielberg. So like we hate to admit like, like, if you look at The Rock, the movie star, his dad was a professional wrestler. Like, did The Rock work hard to get in shape? He did. Did it help that his dad was a 6'5", six 6'5", five, six 300-pound pro, pro wrestler? Like, yeah. that probably contributed. Right. So growing up around my dad communicating was a huge gift to me. And I didn't know it at the time, but I certainly know it now. Yeah, and I understand around the ACUF table growing up, there was a lot of laughter and stuff. So one of the things that I think people appreciate about you is the humor. Uh, when did you realize, like, I think I'm funny. Like, this is a tool that I have as part of my upbringing that I can use. I would say I always enjoyed it. Like, my dad would take me to comedy clubs when I was in high school and go see comedians. Um, so I always valued it. I always enjoyed it. It wasn't until, like, probably maybe even college where I realized, like, oh, that's a thing I can do. Um, and it wasn't until probably in the last five years that I thought, wow, I can do it and other people in my space can't. Like, that's where I started to notice it was a niche. Like, there are amazing people like Jim Collins or Gary Vee um, that have great content but will never be funny. Like, they're not, not that, that's not their thing. And so I recognized, okay, I'll never outthink Jim Collins, but like, I'll be way funnier than him. And like, that'll be my niche. And so now that's kind of how I use, like, I communicate ideas using that. And I'm not a comedian. Um, but I do use humor to communicate my ideas. And you're a student of comedy too, right? That's an, an int- area that you are focused on and say, I need to grow uh, in this, watching these guys. Who are your favorites yeah, to watch? Del- um, I like Nate Bargatze. Like he's not, he's not huge yet, but I think he will be. Um, Gary Goleman, I really like. Maria Bamford is really good. Um, Bill Burr, I think is brilliant. Um, great comedians are social commentators. Right. So I'll watch, you know, I'll watch a hundred comedians for every business speaker I watch just because like, I don't know. I know everybody in my space is watching the same video. So I'm going to go watch something else and right. work on it part. Yeah. Um, they're all watching the same 10 Ted talks. And so I don't need to like, unless yeah. I want to be the same speaker, I need to watch something else. Yeah. It's a lot more fun too, to watch comedy than a bunch of uh, stuffy business yeah. talks. Yeah, right? Absolutely. 
So like, yeah, I don't, you know, John Mulaney, like there's just so many, we live in a really good age of comedy where Netflix is producing so many great specials, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you talk a little bit about your upbringing, but then work ethic is so important. You talk about the rock needing it and John Acuff needs to work hard. And so you wrote in the book quitter, uh, hustle is doing things you don't enjoy sometimes to earn the right to do the things uh, you love. When you wrote that, were people talking about hustle as much as they're talking about hustle today? No, no. I mean, it's really uh, it's it's such a popular word on the internet right now. Hustle, grind. Um, no, I mean, I just look at it and go, we've done ourselves a great disservice where we say things like, when you find your purpose, you'll know because it's easy and it's natural. Or you know, then you add faith to that. When God's got you in His will, it's just it's easy and you run and the wind's behind your sails. Like I just think that's garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone I know who has a job they love has parts they hate, like that they don't like to do. You know, I've never met somebody that said my favorite time of year is budgeting. Like I love budget season. Like no, it's stressful. Yeah. Um, I love speaking. I don't like most of business travel. Like tomorrow I'm going to go to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and it is terrible to try to get to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Like I have to connect flights and then I have to drive like 200 miles because I land in Gulfport and have to drive to Hattiesburg. Like there's no part of me that is excited about like, yay, like (laughs) would I rather speak in Nashville than Hattiesburg? You better believe it. Am I excited that I get to go serve those people in Hattiesburg? That'll be awesome. Right. But there's parts, you know, like it'll take me 20 hours of travel to speak for two hours. Like, yeah. and if you look at that as a, a trade-off, it's a bad trade-off, but I think it's a great trade-off because the two hours to me are worth so many hours. And I always tell people, because they'll say, what should I write about? And I say, find a question you're willing to search for an answer for two years. Like something that holds your curiosity that much where you right. go okay, like I got to figure this out. I mean, our, our mutual friend, Stephen Brewster, who you've had on the show, like he's curious about how do you communicate faith in a modern culture? What does that look like? And he cares about that and he geeks out about that. So yeah, you really have to find something you're willing to put years into um, and it'll tweak and change along the way, but you have to have something there that you're like, okay, this matters to me enough that I'm going to put in the effort. Right. So then you, you write a next, your next book, Start, which is about conquering fears, believing there's more, uh, dreaming new dreams. And the internet allows us to do this. Yeah, when did you feel like, you know, I, gotta, I really have to step out here. There's a few fears that I have to overcome, a few giants I have to slay. And, uh, and then you had to s- step out. And that's where Start probably came from, right? Yeah, I mean, a big part of it was, so kind of the next part of my story, I do the blog, it goes well. Um, Dave Ramsey, who's a radio personality in Nashville said, Hey, we've heard of him. I want to show you how to do this. Oh, good. Good. So, Hey, I want to do, show you how to do this on a bigger level. Um, so it was kind of like getting the call to the major league baseball, you know, it was such a different, I went from speaking to 800 people to 8,000, you know, within a couple of weeks. So did Dave Um, just see you somewhere? Did he meet you at a speaking? I mean, it was a great, great thing. Um, one of his employees saw me, and said, hey, we should have this guy come speak. And so I went and spoke. It went well. They offered me a job. It was the wrong job. We, like a year later, do it again. Same thing. A year later, I do it again. That's when Dave said, hey, like we want to show you. We want to yeah. teach you. And so that was a greenhouse. Like that was, it was a fire hose. It was a PhD. Like it was a rapid education. Um, so that's when I really, that's what Star came out of was going like, whoa. Like when you jump out and try, you better buckle up. Now, by no means do I go, 
And then if you do these three things, Dave Ramsey will make you semi-famous. Like, right. I don't mean that. I mean, when you jump into the arena, things happen versus sitting in the seats. Right. So that was a big step for you to kind of, I mean, what were you doing before to, to pay the bills? Because by then you have a young family, right? So you... Yeah, I was, I had a full-time job. So okay. I was working at Auto Trader um, in Atlanta, which is a great company. And I was doing all this other stuff, speaking gigs, blogging on the side. Right. Um, so that's what created Quitter. Like, I didn't have a blog. Like, I didn't quit my job when I got my first book deal. Like, I slowly, deliberately built it. And that's what I kind of was like, let me teach people how to do that in Quitter. Right. Um, usually the books I write, I write because I have an issue in my own life I want to fix. That's and right. then I work on it. And then I share that with other people that have a similar situation. I knew I wanted to be my own person. Like I didn't want to share his content. I wanted to create my own content. Yeah. And eventually you go, okay, in order for me to do that, I have to do it in my own space with my own budget, with my own resources, whether I fail or succeed, I need to try it on my own. And so that's where, you know, it, it for me made just, it was so obvious um, that in order to grow my own thing, I had to build my own thing. But you, you, go, know? you go from a regular paycheck to not knowing, you know, where your next uh, meal's coming sure. from. Sorry to be dramatic, sure. but I mean, that's part of it, right? Is when you're not on salary, you're stepping out. It, was that, was that tough for you? Like, what did you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're definitely nervous. I mean, I don't, I think, I think you have a good amount of fear there and like the right kind of fear, um, because you just don't know, okay, our speaking gigs going to come in. Will I get a book deal? Um, Will the platform continue to grow? Like you don't have those as guarantees. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had been deliberate enough that I knew, okay, um, I'm going to write another book. Like I feel like I can speak more. Um, and then, you know, once you're available, there's different opportunities. A lot of people came around me and said, hey, like we've been waiting for you to do your own thing so that we could talk to you about this. And you go, okay, well, let's let's work on that, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say – it's always fearful, but it was less dramatic than that because I, I felt like I had spent X amount of years building a foundation and also like I had great relationships. So I don't, you know, sometimes we like, we say things like, like Elon Musk, um, of Tesla says like, when I sold PayPal, I had no money. I was sleeping on couches. And I always think like, that's not true. (laughs) Because you could have called any event in the world and said, I invented PayPal. Give me $50,000 to speak for an hour. So, like, we love the dramatic story. So, I'm always careful about not being like, oh, John, like, I didn't, like, but you're definitely fearful. It's definitely a new beginning. You definitely don't know what's going to happen. But I had a good sense of, like, I'll be fine, dude. Yeah. Like, but we, what happens is communicators like to identify with their audience. So, they say things to say, I'm just like you. So, Hillary Clinton says, when we left the White House, we were broke. No, you weren't. You were going <laughs> to yeah. sign a $12 million book deal. Like, yeah. you got paid, your husband gets paid a quarter million to speak. Like, you're never, like, but in order to identify, we sometimes go, like, uh, like a really attractive actress will say, I was a dork in high school. And you want to go, I don't, I don't know that you were. Like, I think you're right. trying to identify with an audience, but like, right. I don't know that that's realistic. Right. As a communicator, you want to identify with your audience, but maybe not to the point of sacrifice. But you want truth. to be honest about it. That's so right. like, I would never, um, I don't like when speakers only talk about times they've won because I think that's arrogant. Um, but I also don't like when they manipulate the crowd and act like something was bigger or harder than it was, right. like if it really wasn't. So, um, and so... So what circumstances would you counsel someone, John, that's maybe sitting there thinking, maybe I should 
try something new or I should step out. Uh, what circumstances would you say, yeah, this probably is the right step for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a couple things that say, how long have you been working on it? Like, is it, are you like, I'm in year two of building this or I'm year, I'm in year one. If you're in like month one, like, hold on. Um, two, what are you going to do? Like, tell me your plan. If somebody said to me, okay, I want to be a writer. I'd say, well, do you write before work? Do you write after work? Do you write on the weekends? Do you take writing classes? Do you read great writers? Are you in a writing group? And if they said no to those, I'd say, well, you don't want to be a writer. You right. know, like stop saying like you like the word, but you don't want to do the work. Um, so other thing I'd say is what are your wise friends saying? Like, where's the counsel of people who know you? Are they saying, Jill, it's time. Like, Jill, we see this in you. You've got clients built up. It's time. Or are they saying, like, you're going to do this again? Like, you've already done it four times. Like, what is your spouse saying? I think there's the big principle is it's better to get pulled than it is to push. So when I push my way to an opportunity, I go, I'm going to get it. I, you know, I'm a photographer. I did one good wedding season, so I'm quitting my job. That's push. Pull is I have so many wedding photographer photography clients that that opportunity is pulling me. Like it's so big, it's got a gravity and it's pulling me. Very different situation. Yeah. So you definitely felt that when leaving Dave Ramsey. There's just so many opportunities that are before you that it makes sense to sure. make that next sure. step. And it's almost a lateral step, right? It's not like I'm diving into this unknown. It's like I'm taking a step over. So I can still know my well, family. Well, I mean, it was a fed. step over, but it's a step backward in the same sense of like I'm less famous. Like the reality, you know, the reality is I, if I'm on his radio show to 4 million people 20 times a year, I don't currently do that. So like in some ways, yeah, I don't want to ever, like, it's not always lateral or always up. Like sometimes it is backwards. Like I'd be mm -hmm. lying if I said, and I have as much fame today. Like I probably don't like that's a reality. And, but it was a, re it was a reality I was willing to live with. Hey, uh, you talked about family of uh, being a part of it. Your spouse, I know uh, Jenny, she's actually an author, right? as well but she has kind of I, I read something where she said um god didn't wire you the regular way john he wired you with this heart of adventure and change has how has she lived that out for you in these in these last few uh, years here i mean she's more adventurous than me um she's like of the two of us she's the most adventurous um so she's like like there's been times when we've turned down money because it was the wrong situation and she's the one that's like no it's not right like, let's go do this other thing. Let's not play it safe. I mean, so she's, yeah, I would say she's the most adventurous in the house. So she's definitely the one that's like, let's try it. Let's do it. Um, she's, she's really smart. She has her undergrad in photojournalism and her master's in construction management, which are such opposite fields. Um, so she's very kind of this Renaissance woman that has like, has a wide range of knowledge. And so like, yeah, she's amazing. Like I can't say enough good things. So how has she helped you and supported you in, as an author and a speaker and writer and stuff? Well, she keeps me honest. She it, keeps me honest. Um, she keeps me grounded. Like she's not impressed by any of this stuff. Yeah. Um, she um, won't let me uh, release things that aren't good. Like she won't let me choose the easy money decision if there's a better long-term decision. Um, she helps me, yeah, focus on long-term, not short-term. Um, she's a very kind of long-term thinker and will say, like, I don't think that's right. And she also helps me go, like, hey, you're, you're working too hard. You need to take a break. Like, you need a hobby. You know, you're a workaholic. You need to chill out on this. So, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a million ways she helps. Right. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I, it's cool to know that, you know, behind when you go up there to speak or you go travel somewhere to Mississippi, that you have a wife that's supporting you back home. I know I'm I married well myself and know that the support of my wife is 
is so important there. So if anyone's sure. single out there listening and you have an adventurous entrepreneurial spirit, but you're single, uh, just remember, uh, hear it from John Acuff. You've got to find someone that's going to support you or that will cut the legs right out of all these dreams. Everything you've been writing notes about and thinking about now, these dreams will all be for nothing. Would you agree with that, John? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is you never want to be in a situation where you have kind of competing dreams, um, where you never want to put a spouse on the other side of your dream, where you're like, why don't you want what I, you know, my dream, and they're on the opposite side. So I think it's a it's a really tricky spot, and I think it's a spot that drives a lot of people to counseling, and, yeah. and hopefully they get good counseling. Yeah, fantastic. All right, so we have just under 20 minutes uh, left to talk Great. about to talk about finish, which is the reason why I wanted to do some of this back work was because when you put out a book like finish, I, I love knowing that this has all come out of your story, right? So you write a book called start, but then you, you write a book called finish. There's a process in there. Mm-hmm. And so when did you decide, you know, I think my writing journey is not over yet. I've got to put this book out called finish. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, I always tell writers, I tell writers or entrepreneurs or thinkers there's, there's three things to look for when you're going to create an idea. One is your curiosity. Like, are you personally invested? Two is, is there a need? Like, do people need it? The third is, is it missing in the marketplace? So I was curious about finishing because I'm not naturally a good finisher. Like, I needed to learn how to do it. Two, all these people read Start and said, hey, no offense. I like your book Start, but I've never had a problem starting how do I actually finish? And I didn't have an answer. And so there was a need. Three, I went to Amazon. I searched the word finish and all that came up was laundry detergent. So <laughs> we, we as a culture, tons of books about starting, very few books about finishing. And so I thought, wow, there's really those three things like a Venn diagram. I can see that. Um, and so that's kind of what kicked it off was seeing in my own life, all the unfinished stuff, all the unfinished books, like a lot of your viewers right now have registered URLs that they've never done anything with, or they've almost started books. Like statistically, like back to that, does the market need it? 92% of New Year's resolutions fail, according to a study done at the University of Scranton. 81% of people want to write a book, according to the New York Times, less than 1% do. So we, and the reality, John, is as your device gets sexier, it gets harder to finish. Like every app that's on here is competing for your time and attention and energy. It's only going to get harder to finish. So I said, wow, I'm really curious. Wow, there's a huge need. And wow, we're not talking about this. Like I, I couldn't believe there weren't 50 books called Finish. And so then it was like, all right, well, let's, let's jump in here. That's what started it. Right. And you didn't just sit there and spitball and say, you know, I'm just going to grab a bunch of ideas from the ether world there and just write down another book. You have some uh, serious data to back this up. So tell me about the the 900 that you worked with, yeah. or, or I guess the, the research that went behind this book. Yeah, so the big thing, the problem with nonfiction books in my category are most of them are written with, with what's called narrative bias. Narrative bias is I have an experience in my own life, and then I write a book, and then I, I go back and try to remember steps I took, but I probably didn't take them exactly, but I want to have a formula, and then I write a book called Five Ways to Grow Your Business Overnight Using My Proven Formula. And if people go, well, how do you know what works? You go, work for me, like as if one person is enough of a case study. And so I didn't want to do that. And just, you know, the God, a God thing, uh, a researcher from the University of Memphis approached me and said, hey, I'm a PhD. Um, I want to I study human behavior and performance. And I want to study what you're teaching people and see if it works. Um, and that was a huge change. This is People ask me why I think this is my best book. And I know there's this sense of like, 
you should always say, my new book's the best book. But I, I mean, there's books like, I think Quitter's better than Start. Like I wouldn't like, not to badmouth Start, I just think not every, like it's like, the, it's not your kids. You can say like, this book wasn't as good as this other one because right. I wasn't, I didn't have the idea right, whatever. So with this book, it's the first time I've had real people, real humor, real experiences plus research. So like that's been game changing because if somebody says to me, I disagree with your idea. I get to say, well, show me your six month research project and I'll show you mine. And they're usually like, well, I don't have one. I'm like, well, that, then you're just giving your opinion. It's not. So we studied nearly 900 people for six months to be able to say, here's what works. Here's what doesn't work. That's what's given me such confidence in the material. All right. Awesome. Hey, can you give us one hack about, you know, what's in the secret sauce of those who achieved the goal that they set off? set out to do yeah so one that's kind of surprising is that your goal needs to be fun if you're going to actually get it done um and we culturally don't think goals are fun so you ask anybody ask anybody name their five words that you think of when you hear the word goal and they go hustle grind persistence striving perseverance like Arr. they never say laughter smiling enjoyment happiness um, even with exercise, people say, I'm going to get in shape and I'll go, great. How? And they go, I'm going to run. And I'll go, do you like running? And they go, no, I hate it. That's how I know it's good for me. And you go, well, then you're not, you're not going to do it. Right. And so we studied fun and you study two things when you look at goals, satisfaction and performance, satisfaction, how you felt performance, how you did. And people who enjoyed what they were doing and had fun were 31% more satisfied, but more than that, they are 46% better performance like your ability to make something fun because again the principle isn't have fun like we already talked about there's a lot of things you have to do that aren't naturally fun the principle is find a way to make what you do fun and you'll be more successful so that was one of those that was just for me really surprising and really encouraging okay i actually had that as one of the points to talk about so i've got i'm read, loaded with two sub questions here john right so, sure What's one way to make something like exercise fun? Because I'm sure, I mean, exercise is a common denominator yeah, with everybody. And sure. then I want to ask you, what's a way to make something like writing fun? So exercise Yeah, first. well, it depends. It depends how you're motivated. If you're motivated by reward or what they call fear. Um, and don't hear fear as, the, as a negative thing. A fear motivation can be a deadline. Like you get more done on Thursday because of that deadline on Friday. So what you have to do is say, okay, how am I motivated? Do I, am I a reward person? Like, is my motivation, like, if I jog these seven times these, in these two weeks, I get to go um, to a movie by myself. Like, which might seem silly, but like as a parent, that's such a... It's a big deal. Like, it's a, that is such a like, guilty pleasure. Um, or you say, I'm deadline driven, so, and I'm fear based, so I need to have an accountability partner that asks me once a week, and I don't want to disappoint them. So I don't want to have to ignore their text. I want to be able to write back and say, hey, I'm great. So I need to build that in. So a big part of it is figuring out how do you build in rewards or kind of fear motivations to keep you going. Right. And you did that with your, your reading, right? Because you, you've set this big goal of reading, what, how many sure. books, how many books a year do you want to write? I'm going to read 156 a year. Um, I wanted to do three a week. So that's what that comes down to. So are you fear um, or reward driven in that? I think I'm more reward with that one. I'm fear for public speaking. Like I practice my speeches because dude, I don't want to bomb. Like I don't like, that's my worst fear. Like I love clapping. I love laughter. Like the reward's nice. Don't get me wrong. But like ultimately I don't want to bomb. And so that kind of drives me where like with books, I like being able to show a book. Like I like the reward of like, Hey, I just finished this book and 
I put it on Instagram and strangers go, good job, buddy. Like that's, you go, that's such a silly thing. But for me, it's not, I like that. Like, let me see. I also like, I'll have, like, I think I have it in here. Like, I like a chart. Like I like coloring right. in these boxes of like, yeah. here's my progress. Like it doesn't, when people hear reward, they often try to go, well, I don't have money for that. Like this, this didn't cost me anything to make a little chart and go, I read 5% more. Yay. So yeah, that, the reading one's been reward based, I think. Right. Okay. Now writing, how do we make something like writing fun? What's, what's a fear or reward? Um, well, thing that a big we... part of it is you make it smaller. Um, one of the concepts in the book is about cutting your goal in half. And so we tend to overdream. We don't write for a year and then we say, I'm going to do a writing challenge and finish my book in November. And you go, dude, like, dude, that's too crazy. Like, what are you talking about? So I'm a much bigger believer in saying, okay, like I want to write a whole book. My only goal is to write a chapter. So like you, you make it smaller so that it's actually manageable. Um, and then you start to go, okay, what are things like, how do I work best? Like I work best when I'm surrounded by be- a beautiful, like I need my environment to be beautiful. Well, great. Like get out of your sad home office or your closet and like go to your favorite coffee shop. And that's like, give yourself that treat of like, I'm spending an hour and I'm writing here. Or I work best when I only have one thing going on at the time. Okay. Go to that place. Only take one project. Or I work best when I don't have Wi-Fi. Cause I won't, I will, I'll get distracted. All right. Turn your Wi-Fi off. So a lot of it with writing is figuring out how you work and then creating that environment. Yeah. And you've got the data now to say, look, if you actually are serious about getting this done, these are some of the things that yeah, you need to do. Exactly. That, that make it more, uh, that make it possible. Right. Now, one of the obstacles to finishing that you've identified is perfectionism. So sure. what's wrong with perfectionism and how do we slay that giant that, uh, re- resides within us that stops us from getting our stuff out there? I would say the first thing that's wrong with it is it doesn't exist. Um, okay. I've told, I tell people all the time, Amazon has never sold a single perfect book. They sold a billion imperfect books that brave people were willing to release imperfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like I've had a mistake in every book I've ever written and I've worked with the best publishers in the world and the best editors in the world. Um, they're not perfect. Like, and that's okay. And so I think the first problem, it'd be like if you said to me, like, I want to go to the fountain of youth, like the place where if I drink it, I'll get younger. I'd say that's a terrible goal because it like it doesn't exist. Like you'll never accomplish that. Like that's not a thing you can accomplish. And if you dedicate your life to this thing you can't accomplish, you failed before you even started. Um, the other thing is that it tends to paralyze us. The problem with perfectionists, like you know you're a perfectionist where you won't even start unless you think it can be perfect. So here's an example. We used exercise. I know people that go, I'm going to run five miles a day, but I only have time for three today, so I'm not going to run any. And you want to say, you know, three is more than zero, but their whole thing is perfectionist grade on a pass-fail. It's either perfect and I passed, or I got slightly less than perfect, and that's a failure. So a perfectionist would rather get a zero than a C. And so that's part of the problem with perfectionism is that it creates a standard you can't hit that encourages you not to even try. Right. And so how much of that is a hard thing, John? Like, I mean, going deeper, it's not just about, you know, I have to be perfect. It's why do I have to be perfect? Yeah. What are some of the obstacles inside of our hearts that's stopping us from putting stuff out there? Yeah, I think that's an important distinction. Um, I think the problem with a lot of goal-setting books is they're focused on your head as if you're a robot. So they say, John Morrison, do these three things and you will be in perfect shape. Or like, do like, it's not a knowledge issue. Like we, like, 
there's I think I thought I think there's like twenty six thousand diet books on Amazon. Like we're not like we're not lacking in knowledge. Like we all know what it would take to be healthy, get more sleep. Like we're not confused, but the heart gets involved. And I heard somebody once say, we're not a logical people. And if we were, Time Magazine would sell more copies than people. Like we're emotional. And so I think a big, I, if you said to me, does perfection live in the heart or the head? I'd say the heart. So I'd say a big part of it is like, how do you deal with the heart side of it? Right. And how would you deal with the heart side of perfectionism? Because it's not just something you can get over. You, some people say, oh, I'm a perfectionist. That's my identity. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it takes time. It took time to take root. It takes time to get rid of. Um, we've talked about relationships a lot. I think it's critical you have relationships, people that you trust to tell you the truth, to say, hey, John, like, I love your background. Like, it's great, but you've spent two hours trying to light it. And like, no offense. Like, <laughs> oh, no one's yeah. going to, like, no it's one's going to watch this. getting personal here, John. It's getting real yeah. personal. Well, like, no one's going to, like, if you told your wife, I'm going to spend all day trying to get the lighting right, she'd be like, no one ever chooses a podcast because of the lighting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think a big, like, if you said to me, what's the number one way to work on perfectionism? I would say relationships. Right. I just think we've got to get stuff out there. There's an opportunity before us with publishing, with the internet, with podcasting, John, that I think we're not taking advantage of because of that perfectionism inside of us would you agree with that oh 100 i mean the tools the tools we have available to us are unlike any other generation i mean you know think about in the in the even in the 80s if you were a nurse and wanted to connect with other nurses like what would like you take out an ad in a magazine like a monthly magazine Mm -hmm. would you take out an ad in the paper and say meet me at this coffee shop and hope somebody saw it where now if you said to me i'm a nurse and i want to build a platform i'd go awesome you have every opportunity you have every tool you have every you know for me one of my favorite things is i'm a geek about public speaking like i just i just am um and i think it's awesome i think it's valuable i think everybody's a public speaker even if they don't want to admit it like if somebody says to me i'm not a public speaker i'll say have you ever had to ask for a raise and they go yeah you you give amazing speeches then like that's one of the most important speeches you can like don't think public speaker as ten thousand people on a stage like this is public speaking. Like yeah. how you speak to your wife is public speaking, how you work, you know. And so I said, okay, well, I want to find other like people like me. And so I started a public speaker list where once a week I share an idea about speaking. And like if you go to acuff.me slash speakers, it's just a free idea share. But again, in the 70s, what am I, printing a magazine? Like how am I like how would I even spread that? I had no Twitter to go, hey. Hey, everybody, I write about public speaking. If you're interested, here it is. Like, I couldn't do it. And now, man, the, the tools are there. Yeah. And John, I just want to say, uh, now that I've got you face to face, thank you for that. Because as a speaker, I never start by thanking the host. I never start by appreciating the venue. I always start with a story every single time yeah. now, without fail. Yeah. And so thank you yeah. for that, because I'm a member of that yeah. of that little group. And I've, uh, I love the stuff that you put out there. You also yeah, have one so for writers too, right? Yeah, I have a writer's one. I basically said, okay, what are things I'm curious about that I could share one idea a week, like my best idea a week? Um, And then also, like, here's the crazy thing. People are like, how do you start a business? How do you grow? Whatever. What you do is you find something that somebody needs that you're curious about too. Like, so all I did was say, if you're a writer, raise your hand. I'll tell you what I've learned. And like, I've learned some expensive lessons. I'd rather you not have to pay. Like, and John, you and I have both had people in our life who, for no gain on their end, told us things that helped us. 
mm-hmm. you know, that pulled us aside and said, hey, John, like, here's this thing you're doing. Or, hey, when I was your age and I'm 10 years older now, when I was your age, I thought these five things mattered. Only this one does. So be really smart. And they didn't have to do that. So, like, yeah. now I look at young authors and I go, like, I benefited from wise people that were kind to me. What would it look like for me to tell an author, hey, if you title your book this way, it's not going to sell? Like, and I know you love that title. Or, like, hey, if you go into this relationship thinking, like, somebody else is going to market you, like, and you're just the talent, like, that's not, like, right. you're the market. Um, or like one of my big ones for writers is they're ashamed to share their work. So they feel like I don't want to be over promotional. And so they hide. And I always have to say, well, the next time write a diary and put it on your nightstand. <laughs> I love that. Book, like, <laughs> it's good. your job to get out there and say, I wrote a book and I think it's helpful. Like, and here, like, and I always tell them people who ask the, qu- like people ask the question, I don't want to be over promotional. What do I do? are in a good place because the only people who don't ask that question are the over-promotional. They're not worried about that. That's like, it's not even on the top of mind. Like they're going so hard and so obnoxious. So if you're even saying, I don't want to be too over-promotional, chances are you're a long way from that reality. Right. You know? Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, hey, John, thank you so much. Uh, we've we've benefited a ton as listeners and uh, I just appreciate getting the chance to actually connect with you so thank you so much for being a guest this was fun and i'm glad we have a bunch of mutual friends so i appreciate the opportunity john well thank you johnny cup it's been a true pleasure to get to spend some time with you thanks for your wisdom insight the stuff that you've learned along the way are very helpful to me and those listening at this point if you're still listening i want to encourage you to check out john's work you go see him on on amazon Uh, all his books are out there i'd encourage you to purchase them they're fun to read they're easy to read but you'll get a ton out of it Go check out the stuff that John's doing. Subscribe to some of his lists. There's so many things you could do. He's very public, easy to find, and uh, I'd encourage you to do so because I do it. He's a great follow on uh, on Twitter and Instagram, and so you can learn a ton there as well. So thank you so much, John Acuff. Thank you so much for listening to another uh, episode of the Get Clear Podcast. It's been great having you, and uh, I'm glad you're here. If you want to leave an honest review on iTunes, we would love that as we build this brand. Uh, it's just going to be uh, awesome to have... Uh, more positive comments. So thanks so much for listening and have a great day. If you need help getting a clear message for your business or you need a website you truly love, visit getclear.ca. If you liked what you heard today, please leave an honest review on whatever platform you're using to listen. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Get Clear Podcast. We look forward to sharing another great episode coming up soon.